as you guys are wrapping up your conversations and sharing, how many people drew a tree? How many trees were drawn for the image of Yeah? Who drew a tree? There it is. Yes. It's good. It's good. There's no wrong answer. Um, so this morning we're going to be looking at um, a passage in Acts, and uh, consequently we'll be talking a bit about healing and pain. Um, and this is one of those mornings where uh, I am not well, <laughs> and so as I speak to you, I have sharp pains in my stomach. Um, which is just kind of a, an irony of, of the, the passage today. So I will remain seated um, as I share with you, and I feel just compelled to tell you that because I think that um, the Holy Spirit speaks through us from whatever state we find ourselves, and so you can pray that the pains will not become a distraction from, from that. Um, but anyway, we are in Acts. It is in your handout if you need it. Um, it kind of jumps. We're going to start the beginning of chapter 13 with kind of a, a couple verses to give some context. And then it takes us over into chapter 14 for the rest. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod, the ruler, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them off. In Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet and had never walked for he had been crippled from birth. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul, looking at him intently, and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And the man sprang up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lycaonian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates. He and the crowds wanted to offer sacrifice. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their clothes, and they rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We are just mortals <coughs> like you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to follow their own ways, yet... He has not left himself without a witness in doing good, giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, 
and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came there from Antioch, and they won over the crowds. Then they stoned Paul, and they dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. But when the disciples surrounded him, he got up and went into the city. The next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. The word of the Lord. Once upon a time, Zeus and Hermes came disguised as ordinary peasants, and they began asking the people of the town for a place to sleep that night. They had been rejected by all. So wicked were the people of that land. When at last, Bossus and Philemon had a simple rustic cottage that they came to. And though the couple was poor, their generosity far exceeded that of their rich neighbors, among whom the gods found doors bolted and no words of kindness. After serving the two guests food and wine, Bossus noticed that although she had refilled the beechwood cups many times, the pitcher of wine remained full. Realizing that her guests were gods, she and her husband raised their hands in supplication and implored indulgence for their simple home and fare. Philemon thought, maybe I'll catch the goose that guards our house and, and I'll cook it and make it into a meal for them. But as he went to do so, the goose ran and found safety in Zeus's lap. Zeus said that they need not slay the goose for a meal, but that they should leave the town. This was because he was going to destroy the town and all those in it who had not offered them due hospitality. He told Bossus and Philemon to climb the mountain with him and Hermes and to not turn back until they had reached the top. After climbing to the summit, as far as the arrow can shoot in one pole, Bossus and Philemon looked back on their town, and they saw that it had been destroyed by a flood, but that their simple cottage had been turned into an ornate temple. The couple's wish to be guardians of that temple was granted, and they also asked that when time came for one of them to die, that the other would die at the same time. Upon their death, the couple were changed in, into an intertwining pair of trees, one oak and one linden, standing in the deserted boggy terrain. The end. Over and over and over you hear this story, generation after generation at night. And then one day, two strange Jewish men come into your town they say that their names are Paul and Barnabas, but after you see them heal a crippled man, you begin to wonder if this actually might be Zeus and Hermes. Remembering this story, the Lycaonian people rush to honor these two men as incarnate gods, just like Bosses and Philemon did. 
Perhaps they too would have their cottages turned into ornate temples because they did the right thing. Or if not, surely the gods would destroy them. When we read scripture, we're looking for what it is that God is telling us about himself. Is there something in this story that challenges the ways that we have always viewed her? And the message over and over and over again is that God is saying, I am holy, I am different, I am set apart. The world gives you this idea of who I am. You are looking for this certain thing or you are expecting this certain reaction. But I am what I am and I will be what I will be. And so Paul and Barnabas do something very unexpected to the Lycaonian people. They reject the honor and the credit and the power. And they begin to set Yahweh apart from Zeus and Hermes. Because the Greeks had the same idea of the gods as the people in Noah's time did. They believed that their relationship with the gods was fully dependent on how they acted. And sometimes, even if you did the right thing, it wasn't going to be enough. When the gods were happy with you, there was rain and protection and creation of life. But if the gods were not happy with you, there was drought and destruction and death. And here, Paul is saying to the Lycaonian people, turn to the living God who is the creator of the world, who even when you did not realize who she was, gave you rain and fruitful seasons and food and joy. His healing is not contingent on what you do. Healing is not withheld as punishment or given as reward. It's interesting how many healing stories in the New Testament are conditions that came from birth. And the thing that they understood then and the thing that some of us even believe today is that if you were born blind or if you are born lame or if you are born with any kind of deformity, that that was because of the sin of your parents. It's similar to the way that some people even today will say, you know, if you haven't been healed from something, well, you haven't prayed enough, or you haven't had enough faith. And then just like that, we're back to the Greek gods who will apathetically give or destroy based on their emotional whims or based on your good behavior. I want to be careful here. Because the church has really struggled to develop a good theology of suffering. We look into the darkest corners of our world and of our lives, and we wonder where God is. And I think that exactly there is the key. We wonder where God is. We wonder where God is. The key is that we are always in wonder. And that even when we look into the darkest depths of darkness, 
it is an invitation to wonder. Because when we ask in the midst of our pain, where are you? Are you even here? Do you even see me? The story over and over again tells us that God is here. God is even here. God is especially here. And so we look and we wonder, where in the darkness is God encircling lifelessness? It doesn't work in a theology where God created the darkness, where God created the suffering and the pain, where God punishes and withdraws. It doesn't bring us comfort for God to create our suffering and then come alongside us and say, there, there, I'm, I'm here. But this is what's so interesting about what Paul says to the Lycaonian people. The good news begins with the creation narrative. Because even from the beginning, God did not create darkness. God spoke light into the darkness. You know, it's funny, the crippled man in Lystra didn't even ask for healing. It's interesting because so many of the other healing stories in the New Testament, the person is, is often asking for healing or they're, they're pursuing healing in some way. But this man is, is just there. Within himself, he believes that that God is the one who brings life and who restores and who heals. But in other stories, it, it seems like that bold asking is, is the indicator that the person has the faith to be healed. But this man holds that truth quietly within himself. It's interesting that in order to really see the man, Paul must look intently undistracted, without judgment, with full attention. And then Paul can see him. You guys know uh, Richard Rohr has a lot to say about this kind of seeing. But in short, it's a kind of seeing that is the work of the Spirit of God. So then Paul sees him, tells him to stand up, and he does. And he begins to walk. I wonder what God is showing us about God's self in the healing of this man who was born crippled, whose inability to walk was thought to be a curse or a punishment. I am holy. I am set apart. I wonder what God is showing us about God's self. As Paul tells the Lycaonian people that Yahweh is the one who has seen them, even when they did not see Yahweh, and that Yahweh did not respond to their unseen with punishment. I am holy. I am set apart. But here is the most amazing part of the story. 
and super relatable. If you've ever worked in customer service or with uh, caring for toddlers, the Lycaonian people, they go from believing Paul and Barnabas to be gods one moment to the next literally stoning Paul and dragging him outside of this city to die. But this is what is amazing. In verse 20, it says, But when the disciples surrounded him, he got up, and he went into the city. The next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Here's what's crazy. So these disciples, these were the Lycaonian people who believed the message that Paul spoke. They believed in the living God. And when Paul lay on the ground lifeless, these brand new disciples encircled lifelessness. And Paul stood up. So think about this. The, the lame man that Paul had just told to stand up was likely now among those who stood around Paul's lame body and Paul stood up. I wonder what this means. I wonder what this means. The lame man first received healing and then he was able to make space for someone else's healing. I wonder what it looks like for the church to make space for healing. I wonder what it looks like for the church to encircle lifelessness. I wonder why the disciples did that. Why did they circle around Paul? I wonder what they thought was going to happen. I wonder, what is healing? Preaching about healing is uh, more complicated than preaching about money. <laughs> Um, especially to millennials, which I can say because I am one. <laughs> um, but if you'll let me, I'll share with you some of where my prayer for wandering has led me to. This week, I was diagnosed with a chronic condition. I have walked with many through chronic pain. I have listened to the groans of grief from someone having a family member with a terminal illness. I've participated in the questioning of why God would allow the death of a young mother. I've felt crushed by the suffering that I have seen in the world through a brightly lit screen and also in my city on my way to Kroger. And lately, I've been thinking about childbirth. Now stay with me because I'm not, I'm not going to dismiss aching pain with a cute analogy. 
as I wonder over this process of childbirth, this pathway to new life that's this like building of pain. And it's pain that feels impossible. It's pain that, that literally feels like it is going to take your life. And then at its peak, when the pain is at its greatest, suddenly it's over and new life has come. And it seems so similar with life. My mom used to always say, everyone suffers. We suffer in different ways, but our suffering is what binds us together. It's the thing that links us arm in arm as we encircle lifelessness, as we have faith to believe that we are not enslaved by our suffering. What if we believed that we have already been healed? That each moment of pain that we endure is one moment closer to our healing, to new life. What if, as we walk these paths of chronic pain and impossible circumstances and heartbreak and grief, what if this is our rising? What if walking those paths is our motion of standing? Does that make sense? Are you with me on that? Like, like that as we are standing, we haven't yet fully stood. And the pain seems to unexpectedly build as we straighten our bodies. Until finally, we stand fully up. And then we take a step into full healing into eternity. I wonder if God is like a midwife, with us in our pain, knowing that life is coming, seeing us progress, reminding us of who we are, looking at us in our labor with a face that's split between empathy and joy and confidence, a non-anxious presence in the midst of our questioning and our doubt. On this third Sunday of Easter, we continue to ask, what if we really believed that death is the pathway to life and that pain is the pathway to healing? Let's pray. God, our Father, God, our Mother, we pray for transformation of ourselves. We pray that we might see our wounds as the way through, as Jesus did so that our wounds and our pain would become sacred. I pray that you would transform us to hold our pain consciously and trustfully, 
that you would remind us of your presence as we carry the cross of our own reality. That we could even welcome that reality rather than try to control it or even to try and understand it. That we would have faith that this path leads to healing. Transform us to hold our suffering until it becomes resurrection. Together I pray that, that we as the church would encircle lifelessness, that we would hold faith for others when they cannot, that we would create space for healing. I pray that you would give us eyes to see you, especially in the ways and the places that we haven't noticed you before. Challenge our expectations. Align our narratives with you. And help us to be holy as you are holy. Amen.